0: Hey everybody, this is Michael, the host of Falling Through Plotholes. And doing a little bit of a preamble to this episode because I wanted to put a warning that there is some offensive content in this. Uh, the series that we're going to be discussing, one of the games happens to have a rather extended sequence involving a considerable amount of rape and sexual content in a way that uh, hasn't normally been seen on this podcast before. I'm going to go ahead and put some timestamps in the description just to kind of give you an idea if you don't want to know about uh, this particular subject, about uh, if rape happens to be triggering for you or what what have you, uh, where you can skip past this in order to get past this particular part. Uh, It's not long, but I felt it was particularly necessary to To make sure that this uh, warning was up front. If that doesn't bother you, that's okay too. I hope you enjoy this episode. And with that, here's another episode of Falling Through Plotholes. How are we all doing? I'm Michael. I'm with Alex. How's it going? And we're here for another episode of Falling Through Plot Holes! It's a series about video game franchises, their storylines, and how they have a tendency to go off the rails. And boy, Alex, do we have a really good episode today. One mm. that I am unreasonably excited about. <laughs> but first, I gotta ask you a question. Alright. If you had to you punctu- use a action quote and basically completely ruin it to punctuate an action sequence, uh, what movie quote would you use?
1: Ooh. Ooh. Boy, there's a lot.
0: There's a lot of good ones.
1: There's a lot of good ones. So, like, you say the quote, and it just ruins everything. Everything just falls flat. Yeah, pretty much. Um, hmm. Okay, this is maybe a weird one. Hmm. I would go with, and I don't have a... particular no i guess that's true i do it i do have a okay so i would go with stick around arnold schwarzenegger's line from the or not the predator just predator mm-hmm. but i would use it in a situation that makes no sense
0: <laughs> just like you know you uh, you picked up a, you know you picked up the briefing file and whatnot like after after a fight or something like that and you're just like stick around
1: for a right. while, or like or like I. I would blow something up, mm-hmm. like cause a massive explosion, and then just say stick around, which is yeah. a line that is fantastic when you impale someone, mm-hmm. but completely nonsensical under any for any other situation. <laughs> All right, yeah, that's pretty
0: good. That's pretty good. I I I like where you're going with that one. Mine would be from Kung Pao, uh, Enter the Fist, mm. where I would just say, in a very, very racist accent. You want fries with that, just like they do in that movie.
1: That's a because, good one.
0: Yeah. And in my case, my scene would be you know, just like yeah, go going back to reading a briefing file, just get done with it, and you know, the general's just like looking at me all gravelly and whatnot. It's like, Michael, you're the only one who can stop it. It's like, hmm. Well, you want fries with that? <laughs> Because I figured he'd be very, very confused, and while he's confused, I can leave the room, and not actually go on the mission.
1: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, I
0: think that's pretty good. I think that that work out work out just fine. I'll get an Oscar Ford. Everything would be great. So yeah. Now normally this would be about the point where I would, you know, tell you what game we're going to be going over, but I actually want to do this a little bit differently, Alex. Okay. I want to start by telling you a story. Okay. Specifically two stories So the first is uh, I want to ask you a question Do you happen to know who Scott Miller is? Uh, name sounds familiar He's probably somebody you've heard of But he's uh, he's definitely not really known In a wider mainstream sense Despite the fact he may be one of the most influential figures In video games Are you familiar with or know of the concept of shareware? Yes That I know of. Good, good. So he has a lot to do with that. So for the audience at home, shareware is essentially what video game demos are today in a very, very broad sense. Uh, How they work is that a portion of a game is distributed for free, and then if you happen to like that, you can then buy the rest of the game from whatever company it came from in order to experience the full thing. Uh, It was a very popular way to distribute PC games back in the late 80s through about the mid 90s before it just sort of fell off the earth. Uh, that being said, it actually has come back nowadays in a very modern sense. Most game demos nowadays allow you to you know, download essentially the game one month prior or whatnot, like play like a shortened demo of it. And then you can kind of continue off from your save points after the game comes out and you buy it in full. So it's still, a, it's still a model that weirdly enough is being used nowadays. It's just not called shareware anymore. So Scott Miller is important because of not only Shareware but because of another thing. But we'll go ahead and start by talking a little bit about what Miller's deal is. So Scott Miller was born sometime in the 50s. I don't have it's actually hard to nail down an actual birth date for him, but he's the son of a NASA engineer, uh just to give you an idea of what his background is, uh a NASA engineer who actually worked on the Apollo and Gemini missions, hmm. which in terms of... I don't, I don't know, Alex. Have you ever had like, these arguments as kids, Like, you know, my dad's cooler than your dad and whatnot. Right, right. Like, my dad was a firefighter, so I could win those arguments usually. Mm-hmm. But I ain't going lie. If like, that kid like, came up to me and was like, yeah, my dad got people on the moon. Yeah,
1: that's, like, that's pretty strong.
0: Yeah, that's pretty strong. It's like, all right, well, nah, you, you win this. Mm-hmm. Like, you 100% win this argument. Like, the only thing that would beat it, beat it is if your dad was literally the president... Two, Arnold Schwarzenegger also was actually the astronaut on the moon. Yeah. So this gives you an idea, though, that he came from more of an affluent background and a background that, you know, already had a strong basis in science and mathematics, which is something he had a passion about. Mm -hmm. So he never went to college, but he did get like a job that's not really important for the story. And he had got a side hustle where he was programming video games. And, you know, this was back, of course, in about the mid 80s and whatnot, when you could just have one person, you know, write, write and distribute a video game. Right. Now, there were a couple of ways to distribute your video games at the time. The first was that you could distribute it via what was what was called shareware at the time, which was literally you just give your game away for free and ask for donations. Like the popular concept of shareware didn't quite exist at this point. Mm-hmm. The second way is that you could just solicit your video game to a company and just hope they picked it up. Uh, Both of these models didn't work for varying reasons. Uh, The shareware model didn't work because nobody's going to pay for something you can get for free. And video game companies weren't going to buy buy the products of somebody who's unknown. So neither of these really worked out. So Miller went a third way. And what he did is he wrote video games for what were called disc magazines. Uh, Disc magazines are exactly what they sound like. They are magazines that are digital magazines that come on floppy disk uh, that not only contain articles but also contain video games on them that you can play. Now, Miller would sell these games over for about a year. They would sell the rights for about a year for about $500 to $1,000 a pop. And, you know, he felt like he could earn a lot more money from this. So he decided, you know what, actually, I'm going to look at the shareware model and see how that works. Uh, This was despite the fact that one of the first people he reached out to about this told him pretty explicitly, don't expect to make any money off of this. So he decided to go forward with it anyways, and it turns out it was pretty successful. Uh, He released two games over a six-month period called, one of them Beyond the Titanic and another called Supernova, and while they didn't make a ton of money, they still made him about $10,000. Combined over, you know, for six months of work. So still, he made more money than he normally would. Yeah. Miller, though, felt like there's a really big flaw in the shareware system. Once again, you put your product out for free on bulletin board systems or what have you, you and then you basically just ask for donations at the end of the game. Like, you put up a screen saying, hey, please mail me 20 bucks here. And he realizes nobody's going to actually do that. Mm Mm-hmm. So for his next game, a game called Kingdom of Cross, he decided to do something rather obvious, but still very radical. He took the first part of his game, he gave that away for free, and then at the end of that little demo, it had his name, address, and you'll send 20 bucks here, with the promise that he would give the rest of the game once they did that. This was incredibly successful. He estimates that he earned anywhere between $80,000 to $100,000 in 1987 money. Right. Which wow. comes out roughly, yeah, that's, that's quite a bit, right? hmm And that comes out to roughly about a little over $200,000 today when you factor in inflation. Wow. Now, almost immediately, other companies such as Ambrosia Software and Epic Mega Games, now mm-hmm. known as Epic Games, adopted this new method. This new method was called the Apogee model after Scott Miller's new company. Apogee software uh yeah so that's probably where you've heard of him mm-hmm. now if this was miller's only contribution he would still be incredibly important to video gaming but it wasn't so i'm gonna start out with the first two words of the sentence and you're gonna instantly know where this is going john romero yeah uh-huh. was a man yep exactly right <laughs> John Romero was a programmer who was working for one of these uh, disc disc magazines. Uh, I believe it was called Soft Disc, and Soft Disc was a little bit different in that they actually had an internal team develop games for their magazine. Now had a, a couple of fans who had wrote him letters, you know, being like, "Hey man, I really love your games. You can contact with me." And blah blah blah, and you know, he really loved these letters. Had them hanging up on his walls. Uh, But he was looking through the letters to the editor at one point and he realized that he recognized one of the addresses that was addressed to the editor. So Romero turned around and he looked at this wall and he realized the four letters he had up there, one from like a 67-year-old, another from like a teenager, all had the same return address. So depending on the story you get from this, uh, it's either a little bit more sanitized or not. Uh, Romero says that, you know, he felt uh, his ego got a little crushed, but he's like, you know, I should get in contact with this guy and figure out who this is. Mm -hmm. This guy was Scott Miller. Now, Miller tells the story by saying that Romero called him up and basically cursed him out and wondered why the heck he has a creepy stalker, (laughs) (laughs) which is a very reasonable way to respond to this situation. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. But Scott Miller is, if nothing else, a hell of a salesman. He managed to calm him down, and he convinced him to develop a game with the Apogee model that Apogee themselves could publish. So Romero said, okay, sure, why not? And alongside John Carmack, Tom Hall, and a few others, they ended up developing a pretty revolutionary side-scroller for the PC, Commander Keen, under their new company, id Software. Mm Mm-hmm. So Scott Miller is responsible for making the model shareware that was the most successful, and he has a hand in the the development of its software. Now, you could probably make some arguments that somebody eventually was going to try that model shareware out eventually. Like, it's just the most obvious thing to do. And there was so much talent that was at SoftDisk that it seems impossible that all these friends would not just go, wait, we could just go make our own game. Right. But it still doesn't stop the fact that Miller was the impetus for both of these happening, and that's why he is so, so important. Now, this still goes somewhere, though. Commander Keen was very important because it was a side-scroller on the PC. Uh, the side-scrollers on the PC back in that day were very difficult to do. And a big reason for that, without getting into too much details, is that they didn't have dedicated hardware that could do that, like the Nintendo Entertainment System did. Right. That's uh, that's what allows for smooth-scrolling. Uh, it's also why John Carmack is kind of a genius, because he was able to figure out how to do this and make it sort of acceptable. Right. So, Apogee got a lot of money from this deal, and you know, they were putting out games here and there, but they also wanted to make their own side-scroller as well. So, they started getting development on this in 1990, and there were some hiccups, but thankfully their good relationship with id Software meant John Carmack was able to help out a little bit with the programming on this. And eventually, they would release their own successful side-scrolling game, and our subject for today's episode, Duke Nukem.
1: Oh, boy. Yeah, you didn't expect that to go there, did you? I'll be honest; a part of me did.
0: <laughs> it's hard not to mention Apogee and go, wait, oh, oh no, is this yeah. going where I think it's going? Yeah. <laughs> To be fair, it could have been Max Payne.
1: It could have been Max Payne. It could have been Castle Wolfenstein. It could have been Doom. Yeah. I mean, there there's a number of potential subjects. One, just once you get into the shareware space, mm-hmm. there's a number worth looking at. But yeah, <laughs> from Apogee. Oh boy. Oh yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, today's episode is gonna be a fun one. You now understand why I'm super excited about this. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Alex. What's your experience with Duke Nukem? None, actually. Um, None? Yeah, I've never touched Duke Nukem. I have watched a bit of... So, like, I've seen footage of, I think, Duke Nukem 1, Duke Nukem 3D, and Duke Nukem Forever. Mm. So, I've sort of seen the whole spectrum Mm, yeah, so you've 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 at
0: least seen it, if, if albeit not played it,
1: right? And I've mm. I've watched a number of video essays on forever and what the hell happened, but <laughs> I've never actually touched any of those games myself.
0: Oh man, I can't wait to talk about Duke Nukem Forever. Duke <laughs> Nukem Forever almost turned this into a two parter. <laughs> oh yeah, I can imagine. <sighs> oh yeah, my own experience with Duke Nukem is I never played the side scrollers but I did play a ton of Duke Nukem 3D. Specifically, I played the Nintendo 64 version, oh. which is a, a shockingly competent version of that game. Huh. Uh, it is heavily censored, but they do some really, really smart things with it that we'll touch on a little bit later with like the 3D and whatnot. Uh, and I remember like really, really liking that game, being like, man, yeah, it just moves so quickly. It's like, yeah, they're, like the multiplayer in that game was great. It had split-screen co-op. Like, it was just such a cool thing, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie, when I was that age, which was 11 right. or 10 or whatnot, like, I thought Duke Nukem was really, really cool. <laughs> Nowadays, Duke Nukem is not cool. He is not, no. Duke Nukem is a lame-as-hell old <laughs> man who really, really is trying hard to pick up pick up the babes at the local mall with his hot movie references. ah, <sighs> Yeah. It is... Oh, Duke- boy. Oh, God. He's maybe one of the... It's maybe one of the most misogynistic series I've ever seen in my life. And admittedly, a lot of this is because of Duke Nukem Forever. Yeah. Like, 3 like ds I mean, 3D obviously has some issues, but it's kind of, like, quaint. It's like, ah.
1: Right.
0: You give $20 to that stripper, and you can see her breasts. It's great. Ah.
1: Video yeah games. that's just,
0: it, yeah, and you could you could barely tell they're what those are it's it's fantastic but yeah duke nukem at one point was maybe the one of the most beloved first person shooter series and nowadays it might as well not exist i cannot imagine anybody besides the people on the duke4.com forums yeah. actually talking about duke nukem with any sort of regularity Which is really insane. Like, I remember the buzz around Duke Nukem Forever. I remember how much anticipation there was for that game. Yeah. And, I once again, yeah, I really just can't think of a single series that has such highs and lows. So, yeah, like, even well into the 2000s, Duke Nukem himself was a very beloved character, regularly being included on top 10 lists and often quoted, despite the fact that his quips were just repurposed movie lines that were often butchered. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, he was on some, like, really, really bad, like, top 10 list. Like, top 10 best characters from people who are horrifically unfunny. (laughs) In fact, Alex, do you want to hear one of those top 10 lists? I would love to. All right, let's... We're going to go over to screwattack.com. Oh, boy. (laughs) This is actually technically a video, but I'm not... And I watched the entire video, but I'm not going to subject you to that. I'm just going to tell you what the top 10 list is. Which... Top 10... Number ten is Guile, okay. Which yeah, yeah, that's fine. Number nine is Mega Man, which yeah, Mega Man's cool. Yeah. Although this list insults and says insults me because it says Mega Man X Four is a bad game, which is not true. Mm. I will fight these people. The King from Katamari Damacy. Okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, Earthworm Jim, because he has his own cartoon and he's original, funny, and could take out enemies with his face. Hmm. Yeah, so anyways, this list is like really, really dumb Uh, Laura Cross on there because she has the perfect body But Duke Nukem is number one (laughs) Okay, why is that? (laughs) Well, because his weapons, sinks, and sunglasses are cool And Duke takes a dump on another man's face You gotta be cool to do that
1: Oh, this is a
0: real tone setter It really is, isn't it? Yeah, it's a painfully unfunny list. And while it's clearly joking to a certain extent, it, it wasn't the only top 10 list he made during that time. Yeah, Like he was also on, first off, the Guinness Book of World Records did a top 50 most popular characters, like as like a poll and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And he not only placed on that list, a list that is fascinating because apparently there's people who know who the main character in Brutal Legend is. Oh, it's yeah. Jack Black. Did you know Jack Black actually has a name in that game?
1: Yeah, it's not Jack ja- Black. Oh, no, that's not true. That's incorrect. No, <laughs> oh, is it? That No, no, it's not incorrect. But that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was, it's, I was it's... about to say, I used to make fun of that game because it's, it's just Jack Black. It is just Jack Black.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So needless to say, the point is very simple. People really, really liked Duke Nukem despite the fact that he is just a, a can of Axe body spray left out on the beach for days on end. <laughs> now, there are two reasons why I can think of Duke Nukem being popular. The first is Duke Nukem 3D that was released in 1996 was a huge success. It sold over three and a half million copies, had what seemed like a million official expansion packs. Like, it's literally like 20 like twenty expansion packs deep. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It was ported to seemingly every console that could feasibly do it, and some that could not. Yeah like the Sega Genesis. Oof. This to be fair, the Sega Genesis board is weirdly impressive. True. But it also was only released in Brazil <laughs> <laughs> and barely resembles
1: Duke Nukem. Damn.
0: Which to be fair, it does a better job than the TigerGame.com portable version. Uh. So that, combined with the fact that Duke Nukem himself was a very quippy character set in a relatively modern setting, it just ended up sticking with people. Like, Mm -hmm. the way Duke Nukem was characterized in those games was something that no other game really did at the time, because they were all, like, silent protagonists and, like, first-person shooters. Right. So the fact that Duke Nukem literally just stole everything from Bruce Campbell didn't really matter. So, once again, it clearly stuck with people, and I have to admit, I was one of them at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. However, Duke Nukem failed to truly capitalize on this success. Part of that is probably because it took 15 years for the direct sequel to Duke Nukem 3D to come out. (laughs) Yeah, that might have had something to do with it. Yeah, you know, just a little bit, right? Duke Nukem Forever went from being maybe the most anticipated game ever when it was announced to vaporware to a complete laughingstock over the course of 15 years. A fact that remained when it's shab- shambling Stitched Together Corpse came out in June of 2011. Now, to be fair, during this time, they did try to fill the gap with other lesser Duke Nukem games released for the PlayStation and the N64 in the interim. Uh, games that we're actually not going to be talking about here because they are completely irrelevant. Although they all somehow involve like time travel. Uh, yeah. And they're all like weird, like almost Tomb Raider-esque games as well. Like the third person. Huh. Yeah. I will give a a special shout-out to one of the PlayStation games, though, uh, Duke Nukem Land of the Babes. Because it involves Duke Nukem going to the future to fight alongside the unified babe resistance. Which is just kind of ridiculous-sounding, and I just kind of appreciate that in a way.
1: Yeah, fair.
0: (laughs) Uh... But yeah, they also developed and cancelled a ton of Duke Nukem games during that period as well. And like, I mean a ton. Like, there was a PlayStation Duke Nukem, like, almost like a World War sort of game that was cancelled, for instance. Huh. Yeah. And like, there was also going to be a Duke Nukem trilogy at some point. It's really strange. So we'll talk a little bit about those when we get to them. But we might as well jump in here and talk about the plot to the first three games of the Duke Nukem series. And I say the first three games because the first two plots are incredibly slight. (laughs) So Duke Nukem, released for the PC, MS-DOS, on 1991, is a game that takes place in the future world of 1997. Which is fantastic. Yep, that's strong. It takes place in and around Los Angeles as an evil scientist named Dr. Proton tries to take over the world with his tech bots. Now, Dr. Proton used to be a respected scientist named Dr. Blunderwitz, but after a terrible radiation accident, he becomes a cybernetic madman. With all military and resistance failing to stop him, the CIA CIA hires Duke Nukem to stop him. He fights the tech boss in L.A. before discovering Dr. Proton's lair is on a secret moon base where he conducts all of his experiments, okay, realizing okay. he's about to... Yeah, right? You know, so far, tracks. So he realizes, though, he's about to be defeated by Duke. So Dr. Proton flees in a time machine to the future. Oh. Which, yeah, honestly, I respect this series because it's getting the time travel aspect out of the way just right at the start. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. You know, but normally they wait at least, like, five games in before they do that. So he goes to the future, future LA, I presume. And, like, Duke defeats him puts it into his plans, and returns back to the past with the same device, and is presented with a key to the city. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's so Duke Nukem. Duke. It's, yeah, it's it's nice and simple, it's clean, it's it's a game that's, you know, a very janky-looking side-schooler where you shoot people with, like, a very angry-looking man Yeah. who's pink. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because uh, the graphics, I think they were EGA, which, uh, for those of you who don't know, is a graphic style that literally only has, like, four or five colors. And uh, one of them is magenta. so Duke Nukem is a very pink person. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it has absolutely, other than it involving, like, a very beefy guy who looks very angry, might as well not involve Duke Nukem as we know it at all. Right. So Duke Nukem 2 has some more substance to it, but not much. So it takes place one year later in the wonderfully named Neo L.A. (laughs) Duke is advertising his latest book called Why I'm So Great when he's suddenly kidnapped by aliens during a TV interview. So like I'm already like on board with this plot. Right. Because if you name any like city other than Tokyo Neo something, Mm -hmm. I'm like going to be on board with it. Yep. And also I just like the idea that I, my autobiography would be called Why I'm So Great.
1: It's definitely leaning into the new characterization of, oh, maybe Duke's a giant egotist.
0: It is. And like, but like doing so in kind of like a fun way, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so like he suddenly kidnaps and Oh, also he's getting the interview while he's shirtless. Okay. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Which is, you know, power move. Yep. So these aliens, the regellians. I think that's how you pronounce that anyways. Want to put Duke through years of torture so they can use their super mega Encephalosucker to take his manly brain patterns and put him into their X5G thinkomatic war computer, thus ensuring their victory over the humans in the coming war.
1: Wait. I'm sorry so. The aliens plan is to take the brain patterns of this strong man who wrote a book called why i'm so great hmm. because they believe him to be some tactical genius
0: oh yeah i mean he shot that gun good mm. yeah he he shot that gun good at that cyberman and right. they're like all right now we need those brains in there we need to know how to shoot gun good
1: this is a spacefaring race
0: yes i see Yeah, you know, you figure that they probably have advanced technology that would be able to just conquer humanity. But no, no, we we need this dude. We need his brain. Yep. Okay. Need his manly brain. Mm hmm. His manly brain that has a small explosive hidden in a molar in his mouth that he uses to escape a holding cell. Risky,
1: but I'll accept it. Yeah.
0: He blows up some aliens. He ends up on the surface of planet Rigol. Uh, Because they take them all the way back to their home planet, Uh, blows up a city, and even stops a Regellian battleship from taking off to invade Earth. And then finally, like Duke Snake Sports said battleship, and he writes, he wipes out the rest of the Regellians on board, takes over the ship as his new ride, and heads back to Earth. And that's Duke Nukem 2. Cool. Yeah, so, so far, nothing too particularly crazy going on here, right? Right. And that's kind of to be expected. Like this game, Duke Nukem 2, came out in 1993. You know, it's kind of a simple side-schooler and whatnot. Right. You know, you wouldn't expect anything too crazy. What little cutscenes they do have in there, which are usually just between the Shareware episodes, Mm -hmm. are just like, oh, man, look at this. And, like, they're actually kind of funny because, like, Duke, like, beats the boss and he ends up getting trapped. He's like, well, guess I'm just going to die here. That's cool, (laughs) I guess. And then, like, literally, like, a wall falls down. He's like... That's lucky. I guess I'll just walk through here. Like, it's weirdly self-aware in a way that I just actually kind of appreciate. Yeah. Like, it's almost funny. Which, given where we're going to be going with
1: this, Mm -hmm. is is a breath of fresh air. (laughs) Yeah. Very refreshing. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So
0: how did they ruin it? Oh, let me tell you how they ruined it. So, well, they didn't ruin it immediately, because right. their next game is going to be Duke Nukem 3D. But before we jump into the plot of Duke Nukem 3D, I, I want to talk about why this game was so popular for a bit and give a little bit of background on it. Because it's one, quite a bit of a different game, and two, it's Apogee's breakout hit. Mm-hmm. So in 1993, the same year Duke Nukem 2 was released, the entire gaming industry was upended by the release of another game for the PC, id software's doom so while not the first first person shooter to be released that would be something like you know wolfstein Mm
1: -hmm. uh,
0: it was still a game that helped define the genre with a focus on quick gameplay edgy gore fun weapons and a hell of a soundtrack it's pretty safe to say it was one of if not the most influential game to be released that year right Uh, and of course one of the most influential games of all time just straight up Mm mm-hmm now, I could go on, like, more detail about this, go on a complete tangent, but that would be its own multi-part podcast. Right. So instead, I'll just keep this relevant to Duke. It established a new popular genre of games that everybody was going to be chasing for years to come, and Apogee was not going to be immune to that. Now, Apogee has a very interesting history when it comes to first-person shooters already, because they're the ones who published Wolfenstein. Mm, right. Yeah, so... They already had a little bit of experience with that, and he also licensed the Wolfenstein 3D engine from it to make Rise of the Triad, a game that had moderate success for them. Mm-hmm. But when they decided that they wanted to make Duke Nukem 3D, they were going to have to do it a different way. And a big reason why they were going to have to do it a different way is because they kind of split off from it at this point. Because, you see, they didn't publish Doom id published doom themselves under the shareware system the apogee model and the reason being is for an incredibly stupid reason (laughs) so id software and apogee had a really good working relationship but uh id particularly john romero really didn't like how apogee took down orders Mm. they would basically take down the order via phone uh they would write it down and then at the end of the day they would take all their notes and enter it into the computer this was a very inefficient system And Romero was like Hey You need to come up With a better system for this It's literally slowing down How much orders we can get It's hurting our bottom line Can you like You know Fix this up Right And Scott Miller agreed And then never implemented it mm. So then <laughs> its software was like Okay well I guess We'll just go our separate way And that's right. the reason Why they published Doom themselves It's such an insanely dumb reason Because it's the obvious thing to do Is to enter the orders Into the computer As you get them mm-hmm. but- Yeah. You know, sometimes sometimes you do a v- incredibly obvious revolutionary thing and then sometimes do an incredibly obvious stupid thing.
1: Yeah, and if there's any lesson to take from this, it's that both John Carmack and Romero have no problem about just bouncing and going their own way. They really do not.
0: <laughs> they do not at all. Now, to be fair, this didn't mean that it was like you know, an acrimonious split or anything like this, uh, they're still going to be closely collaborating on many different things. Mm -hmm. Like they're still on good terms. It's just like, okay, well, if we're going to make a first person shooter to compete with doom, you know, we're going to have to figure out how to do this ourselves. Right. So in 1994, Apogee decided they needed to expand their business and branding to make this new wave of ostensibly 3d first person shooters a main focus of their ongoing business. And so because of that, they embarked on a really weird I don't know why they did this. Why, <laughs> I understand why they did this, but it's so strange. Right. They said, okay, well our two D games should be under the G label. Our three D <laughs> games should be under this new label called Three D Realms. Yeah. And then they also made a pinball label. They yeah. Dabbled sure. in making pinball games for some reason. You know why not? Yeah.
1: Called Pinball Wizards. Um as far as I know, they did really release a whole lot of games doesn't sound super familiar so no i'm gonna say that wasn't as prolific it was not
0: and given that 3d games were going to be the future from now on apogee essentially became 3d realms after this period right so in 1994 3d realms comes into existence it's headed by apogee co-owner george brassard who i assure you we will be talking about (laughs) later because, oh boy, yeah. George is going to make some decisions. Yeah. So they released a few 3D games. Uh, one of them, Terminal Velocity, uh, was their very first one. And there's a few others here and there. Do you have to shout about Terminal Velocity? That game rules. Terminal Velocity is a really cool game. Yes, 100%. 3D Realms has made a lot of really good games in the 90s. They have. I'll give them that. Yeah. Ah. Man. Ugh. Early wave 3D games for the PC were... Like Magic Carpet and all that. ah, oh, It's just such good. They're so good. Yeah. So when it was decided... So they made a bunch of 3D games, and they decided, hey, we want to make a new first-person shooter. And George Broussard, who had worked on the first Duke Nukem as an artist, was like, hey, I want to make it starting Duke Nukem. Which now continues this with being the second podcast in a row where an artist who worked on the first game is going to be making some <laughs> decisions for a company. And it's going to be very bad. Yeah, it's don't put artists in tar- charge of your
1: video games. This is unless it's Tetsuya Nomura, I guess. Yeah, that's like the one. I guess that's
0: like the one weird exception. That's like the one yeah. exception where it works. <laughs> so, in order to accomplish this, they would need a new game engine because while they were licensing the Wolf 3D engine, it just wasn't really good enough. It it didn't do the things they wanted to do. Hmm. So, and on top of that. It's uh, it's software was in the midst of making Quake, the first fully 3D first-person shooter. Right. So they had to figure something out. So it turns out this wasn't going to be hard to find. In 1993, an 18-year-old man by the name of Ken Silverman created a Wolfenstein 3D clone from scratch. He basically white-roomed it, called Mm -hmm. Ken's Labyrinth. He tried to sell this game after encouragement from his dad. His dad was like, man, yeah, this looks cool. Try to sell it. But no one was super willing to bite except for Apogee, who initially wasn't interested in the game because they had the Wolfenstein 3D engine, so like, well, we're already right. paying for it, so we're not going to get this. And he actually almost ended up selling it to Epic. Um, huh. It was like on the verge of selling it to Epic Mega Games when Apogee came calling back, because this is after they had their split from id. And they were like, hey, how about we hire you on? <laughs> so, right. Silverman was considered at one point to be a rival for John Carmack. And to be fair, this was pretty legitimate because this, the engine he built was very, very capable. Called the Build Engine, it's essentially a souped-up version of the Doom engine that could do quite a bit more than what Doom was capable of at the time.
1: Ah, uh, the Build Engine. hmm
0: Build Engine wasn't used a ton outside of Duke, but there's, there's a few good games that, that you know, make use of it such a shadow warrior and whatnot mm-hmm. and technically it, it was a game a couple years ago ion storm that used it that was also really really good but yeah like yeah so ken silverman makes the build engine and according to this really robust paper i found on stanford university's website huh yeah it's a 44 page document from 2001 that details all this and goes into duke newton forever and whatnot it's an incredible read i'll post it in the show notes uh they basically wanted to copy id as much as possible. Uh, Silverman, for instance, was told to su- switch to a new compiler, the Wacom C, after Apogee thought it would be a good idea to use the same compiler as id. <laughs> and like it seemed like clearly they wanted to chase trends that id was doing because it was leading the way. They weren't necessarily right. trying to innovate in like the technologies section of it. And this actually was probably a good thing, which I'll get into mm-hmm. in a second. Now, they give you an idea of why they still, like, how... I guess well, we should just refer to them now as 3D Realms. Why 3D Realms still had a good relationship with it. Like, John Carmack actually helped out uh, Ken Silverman with building this engine. Like, giving him, like, pointers on, like, how to, how to uh-huh. render in the maps and whatnot. Hmm. So, like, there was still, like, a lot of cross-collaboration there. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, but still, they were doing a lot of tech chasing... And they felt a need to do what other companies were doing, which honestly is super foreboding for when we eventually talk about Duke Nukem Forever. Right. So that being said, Ken Silverman's build engine wasn't completely derivative. Far from it. One of the biggest innovations is that it actually had a level editor that could be used to design levels as developers played through them. And, like, this was really good for making custom levels as well. Like, it's, it's a very robust level editor. Hmm. It allowed for sloped floors and ceilings, like, allowing for more natural-looking levels, which is critical for the game because it takes place in a modern setting. Right. And he also created workarounds to allow the game to appear truly 3D because the build engine, much like the Doom engine, doesn't allow you to put rooms over other rooms. Uh, The Doom engine was famous for that because everything's on a 2D plane. It's just it tricks you essentially. Uh huh. Right. Uh, Build engine does allow for uh, multi multi multi-story levels, but you still can't put things over them. So using like a bunch of like teleportation tricks, it actually tricks the game into thinking and you into thinking that you're actually like say going up a staircase over over another room when you're not actually doing so. Right. Right. Finally, and this is probably the biggest thing that he implemented is he implemented the network and modem code for online play, and apparently it was one of the first games to use predictive algorithms to reduce lag. Oh, interesting. Yeah, which this uh, technique would be refined in Quake 3, and what was Quake 3's uh, netcode standard became kind of the standard for the industry for a while, and it (laughs) used a lot of predictive coding. So it was very interesting to learn that Duke 3D was one of the first, though, to actually go down this rabbit hole. Hmm. Like I don't know if there's a whole lot of shared code from that that went somewhere else, but still. So while the build engine wasn't as capable as what it was doing at the time, like it, it did more pseudo three D. It was still like a two D sprite based game. It this proved to be a blessing in disguise. Team itself felt like they couldn't compete graphically with id Software's Quake, so instead they just sort of threw ideas out there, provided they were cool. Right. So that's why Duke can use the bathroom to regain health. You can use security cameras. Uh, there's functional pool tables. Like, there's a level of interactivity in these games that just wasn't present at all. Mm-hmm. And finally, the use of Duke Nukem himself ended up being an inspired choice. By turning him into an action hero who stole all of his lines from different movies, they did one thing no other first person shooter did at the time they made a protagonist with a personality. Mm. Much like the decision to charge for their products beforehand, 3D Realms did the extremely obvious thing, and it paid off in a big way for them. <laughs> People love Duke Nukem, even if, if in retrospect, he's a misogynistic asshole who once again steals all his lines from other movies. All of this added up to a game that competed well with Quake. Quake came out the same year as Duke Nukem 3D, both in 1996, and if you look at both games, you would think Duke Nukem came out three years beforehand. But due to a variety of factors, it actually outsold Quake. Hmm. Yeah, by the end of the 90s, it sold three and a half million copies, and the game was like basically ported everywhere. Like PlayStation, Saturn, N64, all three of those game systems also had very competent ports of the game. And once again, it also came out to other systems that it shouldn't have come out on, like the tigergame.com. And my favorite, <laughs> the Sega Genesis, but only in Brazil. Yeah. The Brazilian Sega Genesis port also probably was illegal. Which is. I mean. You know. TechToy did not quite have the license.
1: <laughs> TechToy made a lot of things they didn't technically have the license to make. They really didn't. They. Yeah, they just. God bless TechToy. Tech Toy is my favorite. I love Tech Toy so much. I want to do a podcast about Tech Toy one day. There's so much nonsense in their catalog. It's it's endless.
0: My favorite
1: glorious.
0: My favorite is the weird ROM hacky versions of Monster World they did where they took like cartoon characters from like a Brazilian cartoon and they just stuck them in there.
1: That's also my favorite, yes. Oh, it's
0: so good. It's so good.
1: that that franchise, by the way, is also worth like a podcast in and of itself. Not about the plot, just about... Oh, the weird the, the, split that happens. Yeah. yeah, just the 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 course of the franchise In the good timeline,
0: Master Higgins never leaves the island. <laughs> in the bad timeline he does. Yeah. and he gets turned into a dragon. Oh, man. Venture Island is so good.
1: Venture Island is great. Yes, it is. <laughs> or is it Or is it Wonder Boy or Monsterland? I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't either. At some point, it split off like a third way, too. It,
0: yeah. It, oh, god. I think oh, wait. I think there's
1: technically now a fourth split now, if I remember correctly. Sort of? Yeah. Oh, god. Because, like, there, there's Monster Boy, which has nothing to do with the others except that it's totally the same game. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's it's completely crazy. It's completely crazy how that franchise goes in different places. I like Duke Nukem, which has a nice through line. That I assure yeah, it sure you. sure does. <laughs> that I assure you. It's not going to involve. Uh, it's not going to involve skateboarding, Duke. Not yet, anyways. Maybe one day. Give Gearbox time.
1: It's really weird that didn't happen, actually. Oh, shit, yeah. Why Why isn't there a skateboarding Duke? Why isn't there a skateboarding Duke? Hmm.
0: I bet you there's a... I bet you there's a there Tony must, Hawk there mod. Must there must be. Yeah, there's there's probably a Thug 2 you know, mod that has Duke Nukem in it. Probably. So, so, yeah, Duke Nukem came out. It was an unprecedented success for the company, but that unprecedented success was probably what ultimately led to the downfall of 3D Realms. We'll get into why in a second, but first let's talk the story of Duke Nukem 3D. So the story of Duke 3D begins right after the ending of Duke Nukem 2. So, Duke's on his spaceship they stole from Regalians. It's immediately shot down as he's entering Earth's atmosphere, and he crashes into Los Angeles. He, uh, We find out he's shot down by other different aliens, cycloids. And uh, when he crash lands, we get our first uh, awesome John St. John line. Those alien bastards will pay
1: if shoot up my ride. That's a real tone setter. It's a real tone
0: setter. And so he ends up finding his way through various parts of the red light district in Los Angeles, including a strip club, a movie theater showing porn movies and places where Duke can stare at ladies and tell them to shake it, baby. The 90s were a time, ladies and gentlemen. They really were. They really were. The N64 version is really great because they um, they censor a lot of that. (laughs)
1: Like
0: the porn shop becomes a bookstore, (laughs) and like they replace like ladies like security guards and other ladies who look like they're just absolutely done with Duke. (laughs) (laughs) Which I feel like that's how everybody feels when they're around Duke Nukem, just kind of done with them. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah, so this game was very revolutionary because you could also hand some of those ladies twenty dollars, and they will show you what appears to be about nine pixels that might be some breast
1: it might be it's not clear <laughs> it's incredibly unclear it is self censored mm-hmm. You could also
0: hand twenty dollars to other ladies who just will not do anything, but Duke will still say, "Shake it, baby, and that's <laughs> that's fun, I guess, sure. So, during this time, Duke discovers two things. One, the entirety of the LAPD has been turned into evil pig cops, which are exactly what they sound like. <laughs> and two, they're kidnapping all Earth's women and encasing them in alien cocoons. These alien cocoons uh, suck quite a bit because once the ladies are in the alien cocoons... They, uh, unfortunately, are essentially good as dead, and if you're playing the PC version, they will moan and say, kill me, and like other things like that. In the Nintendo 64 version, you can actually save them, and you get the nice words, babe saved, every time you do one. <laughs> Another reason why the N64 version is better. Yep. So, Duke eventually gets captured and interred in a California prison the aliens have taken over, which he escapes easily. He finds out the alien invasion is coming from an alien cruiser somewhere in around the San Andreas Fault. He boards the ship, kills the commander who is a giant reptile-looking alien in spiky armor called a battle lord. So Duke mortally wounds the alien, who as he's dying asks, who are you? To which Duke blows his head off, tells him, I'm Duke Nukem, and I'm coming to get the rest of you alien bastards. I feel like I'm already losing my Duke Nukem voice yeah that didn't take long it's it's hard to keep going (laughs) it it really is duke then finds some monitors on the ship and he finds out there's a titanic alien ship hovering above earth this is where we find out the women's are being the women's (laughs) this is where we this is where he finds out the women are being abducted in mass and he goes to get them back saying no one steals our chicks and lives Duke really loves saying the chicks and the babes, because once again, yeah.
1: it's the 90s. It sure is.
0: I I don't think I've ever met a single woman who appreciated getting called either babe or chick. Have you, Alex? No, can't say that I have. Hmm. Yeah, it just... It never seemed good even back in the 90s.
1: No, it d- didn't. But, you know, they have a character, I guess. They do. I realize I never even described how Duke actually looks in this game.
0: So Duke is now like in his like, like wearing his was I like kind of his iconic get up, which is literally just a red tank top, uh blue jeans, some black boots, and sunglasses with like uh like a yellow crew cut hair. And it should be pointed out that while John St. John, the voice actor who does Duke Nukem, is a great voice actor, he does the same tone for every single one of his line deliveries. Yep. Which is actually kinda great. It's it's kind of appropriate, really. It really is. It really is. I wouldn't actually if you were to actually have tone, I would not appreciate it nearly as much.
1: No. Like Duke should be one note. Mm-hmm. That's that's what he is and deserves. Yeah.
0: And and the one thing I'll say about this game is that for the most part, I feel like they do that. And like I, I recently replayed a lot of Duke 3D.
1: And
0: uh mm. There's still parts of was like, ah, yeah, okay, this is actually kind of fun. Mm. So like, I, I, think, yeah. I think they still sort of get it. So Duke travels to the moon via an Earth spaceport, fights his way through the lunar base that's there, and eventually makes his way to an like the alien's overlord ship. There mm. he fights said overlord, who's a giant Rancor-like creature with shoulder-mounted rocket launchers. He's killed, and Duke proceeds to rip his head off and literally shits down his neck.
1: That's right, that
0: does that happen That does indeed happen <laughs> So that's great Duke then travels back to an even more destroyed LA And he fights his way through a movie set A subway And a bank Before ending up at a stadium There he counters the cycloid emperor A big half alien half robot thing With a single eye After a tough fight He kills it Rips out his eye And kicks it through the goalpost that says game over
1: Cause it's, it's,
0: <laughs> Game's over Yep. The game ends with very awkward audio of Duke getting laid and a lot of noises are made indicating Duke is good at sex. It goes on for longer than it should. I had totally forgotten about that when I watched cutscenes for Duke Nukem 3D and I was like, why did they do this? This is like a minute long. I don't need this. Yeah. So, and that's Duke Nukem 3D. There was technically like a few more episodes, official episodes released, including one that was literally released, I think, like four or five years ago. Uh, That um, Mm. was developed by some of the original designers, Alan Bloom III. And um, I forget what his full name is, but he's also known as the Level Lord. (laughs) Uh, That uh, also has his own separate ending where you like fight against the Cycloid Empress and whatnot. But those aren't really that relevant. They're never talked about past this. Right. But needless to say, you know, Duke saves the world, he saves LA, he does the things he does, and, you know, that's the game. And yeah, like, Duke Nukem 3D was a real watershed moment for 3D Realms. They experienced a huge success on par with the hottest games of the era, and while the Apogee name had been involved with some hits, like, on, like, the publishing side of things, this was, like, the first, like, game they put out that was really, truly a huge success. So they were now flush with cash, and they were very willing to make an even bigger follow-up to Duke 3D. However, there was a bit of a problem. The way forward didn't seem particularly clear for them. Duke 3D was known for its realistic setting, its bombastic protagonist, and the interactivity of its environments. The obvious path was to do that but more for the sequel. But Mm. that kind of would run counter to what allowed them to do that with Duke 3D, because the thing is they would need like a state-of-the-art graphics engine to really be more bombastic at this point. Right. And the build engine was already outdated by the time this game came out. Because like essentially it was a, you know it was a souped-up Doom engine, right? And Doom came out in 93. Right. Like they came out right across from Quake, which was full 3D. So uh, to go bigger with them would require a theoretically state-of-the-art engine to back that up and would also require a man who had the vision to make all these elements happen. Which means it's time for us to talk about George Brassard. Oh, boy. So a lot of this is going to come from an incredibly good Wired article called Learn to Let Go, How Success Killed Duke Nukem. An article released, I believe, in 2009, when it seemed like Duke Nukem Forever was dead. <laughs> <laughs> but it still is a very, very good write-up, because this came out basically right after 3D Realms shuttered its doors. So a little background on Brassard himself. Uh, born in about 1963 or thereabouts, he uh, actually went to high school with Scott Miller back in the 70s in Dallas, Texas. There they became fast friends, both learning how to program games and in general having a fascination with them. Uh, they would part ways briefly with Miller going to form Abigee and Brassard going to form a company called MicroFX. Uh, MicroFX mm. released a couple of games that I'm pretty sure they didn't have license to, such as a Star Trek, the next generation trivia game. Yeah. A game that I believe was released after there had only been, like, a season or two, so I can't imagine there was that much trivia in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they ended up merging with Apogee in 1991, and from there he rose the ranks pretty quickly before becoming, at one point, president of 3D Realms. There's also kind of some weird things where some sources, including Brassard himself, say that they uh, co-founded Apogee software, which is a complete lie. Hmm. Which also, yeah. Hmm. yeah, which also maybe should tell you a few things about the person we're about to talk about. Yeah. So before he became president of 3D Realms, though, he was an artist on the first Duke Nukem and also worked as a level designer on Duke Nukem 2 before becoming a producer for Duke 3D. Now, Broussard seemed like he was the perfect man for the Duke franchise. His friend Miller was more businesslike and quiet, whereas according to Wired... And this is a direct quote. Broussard, a voluble, energetic, ponytail presence who carried around a single notebook as his organizational tool, became the creative impresario, famous for an unerring sense of what was fun. This personality comes, certainly comes out in interviews he gave during Duke Nukem Forever's development. For instance, in an interview given to Shack News when asked about the long development and why he decided to give interviews in the first place, he said, quote, Gotta start somewhere, no regrets. With our development history, if you let regrets bother you, you jump off the nearest roof. Onward and upward. He also famously said in another interview, when questioned about when the game was going to come out, simply said, when it's done. Mm. Which literally wormed its way into the marketing for the game. This itself became kind of an early meme when people, you know, when they were asked like, hey, when are you going to get finished with this thing? They would just say, when it's done. Right. So, all of this is nice, but it doesn't answer the question of how they were going to make Duke Nukem Forever bigger and better. Broussard, though, had an answer. They were going to license the newly announced Quake 2 engine from their friends over at id. So, there was a slight problem with this, though. One, the engine was about $500,000 to license, okay. which is yep. quite expensive. Yep. The second was it wasn't complete. Mm. quake 2 hadn't come out yet (laughs) right it was still actively being worked on which meant they couldn't get a ton of work done they would add what they could when it would release new iterations of the engine and so naturally this kind of slowed down development still they were able to put together a demo for e3 of 1998 that seemed legitimately amazing Mm -hmm. Uh, You can still find this demo on YouTube and whatnot. It features surprisingly nice 3D models for the time. Like lighting and explosions seem really, really well done. And it showed off set pieces such as like fighting on a moving truck, what appeared to be like a full physics model that was implemented Mm -hmm. in the game. And even for some reason an old-timey prospector, which that's cool. Sure. Yeah. Any game that has an old-timey prospector in it is probably a game I'm going to like. I'm not going to lie. I have my tastes. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so, so yeah, like, it looked really, really good. It, it, it blew away the press. Like, everybody was, like, taken aback. It's like, man, this game looks really great, and it got a, just, like, a ton of hype. And it seemed mm-hmm. like it could have made for a cool game. And if this was the actual game and it got released, I have no doubt people would still be talking about Duke Nukem Forever to this day. Yeah. But here's the thing. It didn't. And a lot of it has to do with a fatal flaw of George Broussard's. He wanted Duke to be the best and have the best. Mm -hmm. He also is like a cat and he gets very distracted by shiny (laughs) objects.
1: Why, whatever shiny object could have distracted him. Why, I wonder if it's a new game engine. I wonder if. Just,
0: Just weeks after E3 of 1998, after he just showed off this amazing demo... He announced to the gaming world that Duke forever was going to switch to the unreal engine because unreal got his debut at E3 of 1998 from Epic games. Right. And it looked amazing. Unreal is an amazing Mm -hmm. game. And it was really good for having open environments, like rendering open 3d environments, which Duke was having trouble rendering with the quake two engine. Mm -hmm. So because of that, they decided to scrap the Quake 2 engine and move to Unreal. The problem with that is you can't port assets over easily, which meant they had to scrap all their work. So what this led to was a frenzy of switching engines and scrapping assets as the team tried to stay on the absolute cutting edge without actually developing the absolute cutting edge. Like They're not making their own engine. Right. Which meant that they're always going to be kind of either at where the industry is or just a little bit behind. Mm -hmm. This was obviously a losing battle, as this Wired article perfectly summarizes. It's a dilemma all artists confront, of course. When do you stop creating and send your work out to face the public? Plenty of Hollywood directors have delayed for months, dithering in the editing room. But in video games, the problem is particularly acute, because the longer you delay the more genuinely antiquated your product begins to look end quote Mm -hmm. and that's totally right especially in something in the pc space like with consoles you can delay your game and usually be okay because you're still working on the same specs everyone else is right right around this time the pc became an arms race like before then like it was tough to develop like really good looking games for the pc Mm -hmm. but now you have 3d accelerated cards you have companies who are making more specialized hardware for for the pc and oftentimes the pc is being used to showcase what can be done theoretically if you have enough money to throw at the problem right if you don't just lock down and make the game you are at risk of falling behind and that's exactly what constantly happens with duke nukem forever George's problem is that he could never stop and just finish the game. Uh, There's another quote in the Wire article that talks about that, how most developers say, hey, okay, we're at a good place. We just need to lock down technology and just take a year to polish. He just never would do that. Mm -hmm. So George wanted to make it look at the absolute best, and he had another problem in that he had no incentive to do so. Now, the reason why he had no incentive to do so is because 3D Realms made a ton of money off of Duke 3D. And for much of the 90s, they continued to do so through ports or expansions. They were also doing good business developing and publishing games around this time. For instance, they helped publish Max Payne under the uh, a publisher banner called The Gathering of Developers, which is like mm-hmm. a weird multi-developer publishing studio. Right. Uh, that 3D Realms had a hand in, and since Max Pay was a big deal, like, they earned a ton of money from that. Like, they mm-hmm. released three additional Duke Nukem games uh, for the consoles that were all terrible, but from my I understand, they did well. hmm And so, because of that, they just had so much money. While they weren't gonna publish the game, originally it was gonna be GT Interactive and then later Take-Two, the contracts were written in such a way that they would lose out on money if they didn't publish on time, but they wouldn't really face any other penalties otherwise, because they controlled the Duke Nukem IP, and there was no other real, real clause other than, "Hey, we're going to pay you the money when you publish." Other, other than we're going to pay you the money when you publish the game, right? Right. So because of that, they could take as much time as they wanted. So. Yeah, so with zero pressure, they could just take as much time as they want. And that was despite the fact that companies like T2 really would want them to put this game out because they were having to write down losses because of that. Right. And it seemed like Broussard and Miller kind of reveled in this a little bit. <laughs> uh, Broussard in particular seemed especially willing to relish in all of this. After Take-Two CEO Jeffrey Lappin complained in 2003 that Duke Nukem Forever was so late he'd begun to writing it off as a loss, Broussard posted online, which he should never post online, that Take-Two needs to sti- um, stifu, shut the fuck up. We don't want Take-Two to say stupid ass things in public for the sole purpose of helping their stock. He further said, ominously, It's our time and our money we are spending on the game. So either we're absolutely stupid and clueless, or we believe in what we are working on. You can definitely take that quote some ways.
1: Yeah, you sure can.
0: And so, yeah, like... And like normally, if anybody else, like, essentially burned a bridge with a publisher like this, this would be a really big deal. This would mean some really bad things for the developers. But at least initially, it didn't, because once again... They had absolutely no incentive to deliver this game anywhere on time, mm-hmm. and so what followed was a cycle of engine change, going silent, releasing an amazing trailer at E3. Like they released so many good trailers at E3, mm-hmm. getting distracted by something shiny, changing engine, and repeating. <laughs> oh God. Now, this had a knock-on effect, though. Like, this wasn't just affecting, like, 3D Realms' bottom line or Take-Two's bottom line or making fans mm-hmm. angry. This was having a real impact on the development team. Because mm-hmm. remember, Duke Nukem Forever is going to be in development for 12 years. Technically 15, I believe, actually. I think, Yeah, actually longer than that. It was 12 years yep. when it was canceled. Right. So a few team members had actually spent their entire professional careers on this game. Some amounting to ten years of experience or more, with absolutely nothing to show for it, with in right. an industry where being young is king and having a good portfolio is king. Right. So you have people are like entering their thirties, nothing to show for, it. and like, how am I going to get hired on another company? Like, this was ruining careers. And fans themselves, of course, were restless. Like, a fan mm-hmm. pre-ordered Duke Nukem Forever in two thousand one, and it's a famous <laughs> photo of like the GameStop um, pre-order receipt. Right. Like he mockingly posted it eight years later. Uh-huh. Uh, he would eventually get his swag when the game got released. So he, he got his. That's good. It also won Wired's Vaporware of the Year Award year after year until it was eventually retired from the list for a short while. <laughs> <laughs> All this criticism once again didn't matter. As long as the money still flowed into 3D Realms, who cares, right? Right. It started to run out. In 2009, 3D Realms had basically spent every penny they had. And without any other major releases from the company, there was nothing left to prop it up. Broussard and Miller would need to secure funding in order to keep the game going. But unfortunately, they had spent years insulting and not de- delivering a game for the one company that could bail them out.
1: <laughs> <Ain't> too
0: interactive.
1: <laughs>
0: and this is why you don't post insulting things about your bosses
1: or publishers online. Turns out catches up with you it kind of does
0: now before they did this they did try to cash in on the duke name in
1: 2008
0: alex have you ever heard of
1: duke nukem trilogy Uh, vaguely i think i mentally wrote it off as okay as a cash in on itself
0: yeah it kind of is would you like to see the trailer for duke nukem trilogy
1: i would oh it's a nightmare I also think I thought in my mind, wait, aren't all those games, like, very old at this point?
0: Uh, the Duke Nukem trilogy games?
1: Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. these are these were a trilogy of new games. Oh. Okay, well, I see Deep Silver's logo, so that bodes well. Oh, yeah.
0: So, after, like, the first 20 seconds, feel free to skip to minutes, uh, I think it's, like, one...
1: Ten or what? Fifteen. Oh, this just goes on with the logos for a while. It does.
0: It does. Yeah, it's it's okay, yep, like a bunch of logos of like Duke of Critical Mass, um, some other one, proving Your Owns, and like,
1: uh huh. Oh, <laughs> is this a game? Is this a video game? Is there a video game present? It's in not this? really clear. It's not really clear, is it? But here's the thing, like, it rolls into a
0: false sense of security, and it just gets weird.
1: Yeah, like, it was just flashing the hazard sign and Duke Nukem chain reaction for a while. And then, now I don't, what is this? What is that? I'm just, there's so many gas masks. Yes, oh yeah, you get into the weird gas mask people? There's so many gas masks and guns shooting at them? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the stock, the stock footage um, Duke
0: Nukem, uh, promo art Duke Nukem, is just for some reason firing a full clip of ammo into a real-life picture of a dude wearing a gas mask in a business suit. Now we're just shooting the logo. Yep.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, we shot the glass for a very long time. Now there's an atom. i'm i'm sort of scrolling through okay chain reaction got it yep another critical mass okay there's duke
0: yep (laughs) yeah you you can basically stop at any time because that's 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 how the trailer goes that lingered on his crotch for a minute is there a video game here so the crazy thing is one of those games did eventually come out okay yeah duke nukem critical mass uh came out for the nintendo ds in 2012
1: oh good mm Hmm.
0: It was an okay game, if I remember correctly. It was a side scroller. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but yeah. So they announced that what 2000- everyone
1: wanted.
0: Yeah, everyone wanted it, right? Yeah. So like that was released at E three two thousand eight, and like nobody even knew like what the hell this thing was <laughs> like because it's just so strange because it's just here is this promo art of Duke Nukem he's firing a gun. He's not animating at all, but he's firing no, that gun. Sure is. And then here's some a bunch of people in gas masks. It is it is so strange. It is a baffling, baffling thing.
1: I think I could have made that in junior high school.
0: You probably could have. You probably could have worked at 3D Realms. You probably could have oh, grifted boy. them out with some money.
1: I probably, oh boy. Someone, well, someone it, got paid for that.
0: Well, is it really a grift if you can do a better job at it?
1: guess it probably isn't probably not no that's just a service at that point yeah at that point you're just providing a service
0: so yeah like they they announced that and it was just like this really strange thing and like during that time they were still working on duke duke Forever. Yeah. and like they would give like like jace hall from attack with the show a uh, old uh, mm-hmm. g4 slash spike tv show yeah uh, like once got a preview of the 2007 build and was like, this game's actually amazing. No, really, this game looks great. If
1: they just put <laughs> it out now, it would be the greatest game of all time. <laughs> and you like would keep hearing these things and it was just absolutely nuts. That's the worst part is again and again and again, people would say if they literally just shipped what they have right now, I'd pay money for it. Yeah. And
0: it's Duke Nukem Forever is a tragedy.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's so nonsensical that you just be like, no, this game has to be the greatest game ever. Delay it for three more years and put it on a different engine. It's like just Mm -hmm. release that game and make a new one. Why are you already acting like this is the last game you'll ever make? Right. It doesn't (sighs) make sense. Just finish this one and start a new one. That's what a franchise is.
0: Exactly, exactly. And like, I just think back to like the 1998 trailer for Duke Nukem Forever and like it just how it just looks so much better than everything else. And like, yeah, and like E3 trailers are usually smoke and mirrors and lies. Let's be honest, but yeah, it it was a really good smoke and mirrors and lies. Yeah, like I would have played the hell out of the game. It looks so much better than anything else that came out that year or the year afterwards on PC. But you know, if, once again, that's just sort of the tragedy of it. Yeah. So, once again, you would shock you that one only one of these games came out, but it was well after 3D Realms ran out of the money and had to go back mm-hmm. to Take Two and beg for some more money. <laughs> they asked for six million dollars to finish the game. Which Ooh, how'd that go? Well, it depends on who you ask. If you ask 3D, if you ask Take Two, they say. Well, we offered him $2.5 million up front and $2.5 million upon delivery of the game. Mm. If you ask 3D Realms, apparently Take-Two said that they were going to give him the money up front, but then backed off at the last moment. In either way, it didn't matter. Basardo yeah. Miller rejected the offer. And because of that, on May 6th, 2009, Duke Nukem Forever was canceled and 3D Realms shut down. It was seemingly the end of a legendary company and Duke Nukem. Except it wasn't. A few now ex-employees continued to develop the game from their homes, including one of the lead designers, Alan Bloom III. Uh, they formed a company called Triptych Games, which would eventually merge into Gearbox Software. Uh, this uh, company, though, before they did that, was actually housed in the same building as Gearbox, and they got in contact with each other, uh, Scott Miller apparently got in contact with three uh, with uh, Gearbox as well and they asked him if they were willing to help Triptych finish this near complete Duke Nukem Forever game Randy Pitchford the CEO of Gearbox agreed as he was a huge Ge- uh, Duke fan himself and he managed to convince Take-Two to allow him to do this. Uh, he probably was able to convince Take-Two to do this by going we actually have published video games
1: yeah we're
0: a successful developer which have made
1: you a fair bit of money at this point yeah so they
0: got the assets and the game was officially announced as back on at pax 2010 and after some de- delays because it's duke them forever of course there's mm-hmm. delays sure it was finally released on june 10th 2011 to scathing reviews
1: yeah, Mike, uh, tell me about this game that Alien Colonial Marines had to die for. <laughs> uh, honestly, it's perfect that
0: Gearbox was the company that finished Duke Nukem Forever, because they're kind of a scummy company themselves. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> uh, for the context, people should
1: look up what the development cycle for Alien Colonial Marines was. yes. The short version is uh Gearbox enthusiastically agreed to make it and then decided they had better things to do. Yeah. Like Duke Nukem Forever. Mm-hmm. Uh yes. It's weird Sega doesn't want
0: to work with them anymore. It's
1: really we- it's really weird.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine. <laughs> so this game has a Metacritic score of at best 54%. That's the PC version. Uh the Xbox I think is 51. Xbox 360 to be specific, mm. and PS3 I think is like 52. Point is, uh, not good reviews. Not great. No. XPlay gave the game a one out of five, criticizing the graphics and low times, noting the game has a creepy, hateful view of women, which <laughs> is true. Yeah. Eurogamer noted in the three of ten review, three out of ten review, that few of the locations inspired the sort of exploration and excitement that made Duke 3D such a memorable experience, and even. the There was one positive review I did find, though, from Mm. PC Gamer, but even that review is kind of damning. It gave the game an 80 out of 100, but it noted that there's no reinvention of the genre here. No real attempt at grandeur. Check unrealistic expectations at the door and forget the ancient hyperbolic promises of self-deluded developers. Oof. Yeah, it's kind of a knife to Broussard right there, right? Yeah, a little bit. One thing that was common among all these reviews was a sense of disgust at a certain level halfway through the game that is just terribly offensive and disturbing and such a wild juxtaposition from the rest of the game's tone that it left everyone baffled at why developers (laughs) included it in the first place. And oh boy, when we get to the plot, you better damn well believe we're talking about this. Yeah. I did not watch 10 minutes of... Duke Nukem cutscenes of this specific area, not to talk about it. You're welcome, internet. Oh boy. Duke Nukem Forever is a terrible game from basically the ground up. Load times are terrible. Like, load times at some points on consoles are like 50 seconds to a minute. And uh, mm. then, it's, even if you die, it's another, they have to reload the entire level. Uh, graphics are kind of poor for the era. The humor is some of the worst <laughs> I have ever experienced in a video game. <laughs> Oh my god, and we'll talk about exactly what their style of humor is. In fact, no, no. I I have written down here. I took notes as I watched a two-hour video containing all the cutscenes of Duke Nukem Forever. Let me tell you about some of the funny jokes that they have in here. Tell me them. Alright. So at one point, Duke puts a power core into his base. Lady voice tells Duke he knows how to turn a girl on. There is a fake Marcus Phoenix. He has lines such as a mocking tone, helped my friend find his wife, that pussy, with much crying. You find the Spartan armor from Halo. Duke says power armor is for pussies. There is a Leroy Jenkins joke. Lots of jokes about anally raping aliens. Mm. Duke kills a boss by punching it in the balls a lot. This happens multiple times
1: you ever want to see what happens to a joke when you take it 15 years out of context
0: oh like this joke about some Olsen twins clones that were impregnated by aliens and promises to get the weight off within a week hmm there's an old west town called Morningwood ah I don't know the context for this one but some sort of tortured joke about massage therapists and hand jobs I guess there's a joke about that a happy ending somewhere in there Sure. For some reason, Duke Duke just sings "America, fuck yeah," because that's a very timely reference for 2011. Sure. At one point, you piss in the eye of the cycloid emperor. Now imagine two hours worth of game with those jokes. Oh boy. Ah, uh, it is just, it is just so so awful. The humor falls so incredibly flat. And, once again, has one of the most offensive sequences I've ever seen in video games. And it's something I don't look forward to telling you about as we dive into the plot of Duke Nukem Forever. You ready, Alex? I think so. Are we ever truly ready, though? No. But let's do it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So the game starts with Duke peeing into a urinal in the same stadium where we fought the cycloid emperor in Duke 3D. We find out it's the end of that game, and Duke has to go beat him once more. After having some sort of Earth Defense soldier speak sort of at him rather than to him, in a in a sequence that has an incredibly dated South Park joke, where they go over a plan, and he goes, here's step one, here's step two, and then they don't know step three, so somebody says profit. Right. Uh, Duke goes to actually fight the Cycloid Emperor. He gets a devastated rocket launcher, which is like a Dual armed rocket launcher. That's really cool from Doom mm-hmm. 3D. Uh, Alex, you want to guess how much ammo's in this rocket launcher?
1: I'm gonna say either five or infinity.
0: Oh, I'm so disappointed. Sixty nine.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was I was thinking too too high level you, you about were, game design. You were
0: you were trying to be smarter than the people of 3D Realms in your box. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> So yeah, he beats the Cyclone Emperor, you know, he kicks his eye through the goalpost. says game over, it's great. Mm-hmm. But then we zoom out, and we see it's just a TV screen, and Duke is just playing a game about himself. Like he's holding an Xbox mm-hmm. controller with his logo on it, in an incredibly gaudy Las Vegas penthouse. All while getting a blowjob from the Wholesome Twins, which are identical twins that are a mix of Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, as well as Britney Spears. And this is how you know when this game was written. Mm-hmm. Because the Olsen twins stopped being a thing in 2004. Yeah. Because like, and it's and it really speaks to like, like the sexualization of the Olsen twins. Like and when I mentioned that to my girlfriend, like she mm-hmm. was like, that was like the one thing that really got her. She's like, oh, right. Yeah. People were really horny over yeah. the Olsen twins at one point. And then yeah. Yeah. And I guess I got to actually, it's actually been long enough. I may actually have to even explain who they were. Like the Olsen, <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Yeah, the Olsen twins were famous twins who acted in Full House and actually ended up like having their own breakout roles together, like a bunch of like, you know, teen friendly movies and whatnot. Mm. Uh, they were known for, of course, being identical twins and for a lot of very creepy people on the internet really waiting for them to turn 18 because then they'd be legal, man. Uh, there were multiple websites devoted to that because the internet was a dark and horrific place, even back then, as it is now. Yep. And this joke was just ripped straight out of those. So the Wholesome Twins are two women who I guess live with Duke and he isi- exist to act like perpetual children while they service Duke's every whim. Like they literally like play tag and stuff with each other. It's so f- it's so creepy. It's I, weird. I swear they exist just to make the player uncomfortable.
1: <laughs> you so might Duke, be giving the prospective player too much credit here. Given
0: uh given I went to the Duke 4 forums and took a look at how people felt about certain sections of this game, you're probably right about that. Mm. Actually, yeah, also if you look at the YouTube comments for like any video that has the wholesome twins, like, oh man, they're so hot and funny. I'm like, no, they are not. <laughs> <laughs> you people are degenerates. So Duke, like, flips through, like, um, various television shows and whatnot, and he finds out the cycloids are back, and but it appears they've come in peace. And apparently a large number of them, like, want to eat, uh, like, a Duke burger, because Duke Nukem has his own, like, restaurant chain now and whatnot, and partake in other Duke Nukem-related activities. Like, he has his own, like, museum now and whatnot. Th- this whole game is basically—Duke Nukem is great. Uh-huh. So all this doesn't matter to Duke, who has an interview to give with a late-night talk show that for some reason films in the same building he lives in?
1: I'm sorry, none of this matters to Duke? He's just like, alright, that's happening, whatever, bye. So
0: you remember how I said earlier those EDF soldiers sort of talk at Duke rather than to Duke? Yeah. In a very Duke 3D sort of way duke exists to just say quips and that's it there are a few times when he will address somebody like when the wholesome twins say wow duke that game looks like fun he's like yeah it better be it took 12 fucking years to come out or whatever right like that's like rare times when he will actually talk to somebody but Mm -hmm. usually it's just like they'll be like duke you got to kind of do this thing man we're best friends man it's been a while since i've seen you and then you just silently walk on off to go to the next objective mm-hmm. like duke rarely ever addresses anybody in this game hmm. so that's why it seems like he kind of doesn't care that the, the cycloids are back he's just like, like he doesn't even like, acknowledge that he's going to go film a talk show he, like the whole right. twins tell him oh you're going to go film a talk show right and he's just like silence get up walk downstairs <laughs> yeah it's so strange it is such a strange choice they made It's cause it's Like they have John St. John in a booth They've had 12 years to record these lines
1: Right But Event triggers are hard I guess
0: I mean listen in Half-Life Gordon Freeman never talks So it's fine
1: Yeah
0: uh, So yeah he leaves his penthouse He goes. Um, he goes down to the talk show Oh by the way what floor do you think Duke lives on? 69 you're correct Oh god at a point i started like making an official list of how many times the number 69 is mentioned
1: Uh Uh, uh-huh i i eventually gave up (laughs) god are there (laughs) any other of the funny numbers used
0: um not that i'm aware of unfortunately oh my god it's just the one joke just the one joke Weird that a one-joke character would just use the same joke over and over. Yeah, it's fair. <laughs> so he goes down to the talk show, and we find out that basically filming is shut down and whatnot because everyone's all filming the aliens, and everyone in show business is upset about it. And so Duke's like, "Well, I guess we'll just go into my Duke bunker." So like he like literally goes to his museum, and it like, takes him down to a secret bunker where we find out he has like you know, a bunch of computers and whatnot to monitor the world or something like that because he's Batman, I guess. Sure. And there's dual screens, and on one of them, the President of the United States shows up, and the other, General Graves of the Earth Defense Force. So, we find out the President hates Duke. He's, by the way, the 67th President of the United States, so I have no idea when this game takes place. Okay, yeah. Sure. (laughs) Sure. So he, like, in an angry tone, he demands that Duke not fight the aliens while they continue peaceful negotiations. He's like, we can get, get peace with these guys, and 12 years ago, you wrecked Los Angeles, we're still paying for it. He basically exists to be, like, the police sergeant who tells Duke he isn't doing things by the book, and he should turn right. in his badge and gun. Like, he that's literally why he exists. Right. Now, General Graves, like, the one character who seems like is kind of reasonable... Like, during this entire game, is not just a weird caricature. Mm-hmm. It also seems to be, like, Duke's only friend. <laughs> mm. He sympathizes with Duke's, never actually stated willingness to go in guns blazing, but he also wants to see if they can avoid bloodshed at first. Right. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, needless to say, this is another scene where it's, like, people are, like, ascribing motivations to Duke. By saying, Well, Duke, I know you want to go in and murder those aliens, but you can't do that. While well, Duke just stands there in stony silence. <laughs> like, it's. Once again, it is just so strange that they decided to do that. Right. So Duke's told to stand down, but then all of a sudden his bunker loses power. The alien shows up, and surprise, they're, there to hear, they're here to kill Duke. So Duke gets a gun, starts fighting aliens. Like, he restores the power. Like, he jumps in a giant defense turret and blows up the alien mothership over LA or not LA, Las Vegas. Uh Uh-huh. So, like, he managed to destroy the mothership, but Duke gets knocked out in a giant explosion. Like, but while he's passing out, he manages to flip off the mothership as it blows up. Mm -hmm. Uh, He does this multiple times throughout the game where he gets knocked out and flips out, flips off something before, you know, going to black.
1: Right. It's almost like they had that animation prepared.
0: Yeah, and they wanted to reuse it a couple times. So... He wakes up exactly four hours later. We know this because it says four hours later. You know he saves a woman from a falling elevator who you know is Amelia Oliver Duke. Like, oh, you can go down on me anytime. Ah. <sighs> literally every character exists to be like Duke. Duke, oh man, you're so, you're so great. I bet your dick's big. <laughs> Duke, why don't you have sex with me and all of my children? Like, that's like exactly right. that's the only reason any of these characters exist. It's so dumb. So he ends up getting shrunken down by aliens. He, like, he escapes by driving a kid's RC car in a sequence that I assure you isn't fun because yeah. I actually played it. Mm-hmm. And he manages to find the wholesome twins and some EDF soldiers. And so like, he gets turned back to normal size and he goes to meet the girls who are playing tag for some reason. Just as alien soldiers drop through the ceiling and the one... Kind of okay part of this game. He breaks a, a glass case that says "In case of alien invasion" and grabs a shotgun and starts fighting the aliens. Okay. Yeah, it's like the one part I'm like, oh okay, now I'm cool. Yeah, that. yeah, that's pretty good. And like he manages like to successfully do that, like he saves the Holston twins, and they're like, "Man, we were so scared." Well, I guess we're gonna make out with each other now. And Duke's like, "Oh man, I'm about to get my reward," and it's all like really creepy and God. And then an alien shows up and manages to kidnap them, like at the last minute, right before they're about to kiss. Uh huh. And then one time that Duke actually gets angry, and it's actually a really good angry line read, too. He's like, not my babes, not my town. You alien <laughs> motherfuckers are going to pay for this.
1: <laughs>
0: and it's like, wow, that's actually a really good line read. John St. Right. John, you're a good voice actor. So Duke manages to meet up with General Greys, and in a line read that was clearly recorded on two different days because the tones mm-hmm. are completely different from line to line. Right. He tells Duke the president was wrong. And they seem to be targeting places related to Duke, such as the Duke Burger and the Duke Dome. <laughs> yeah, sure. it, it's always Duke something. Uh huh. And they're doing this because they're out for revenge for what happened 12 years ago. He also tells them they've taken the Hoover Dam and they are using the power from it to create a giant wormhole in the sky for their alien invasion.
1: I don't think that's how the Hoover Dam works, but okay.
0: Ah, yeah, you know, they have a machine that got a power and they're using the, the dam or something, I don't know. I
1: don't think the dam generates enough power to make space-time holes. Listen, the Hoover Dam, was, it, it's, a, it's a big dam.
0: It's, it's real big.
1: Alright, yeah, this, this is true. <laughs>
0: It's very important in video games around this era for some reason. Yeah. Uh, That just makes me want to play Fallout New Vegas now. So yeah.
1: Transformers at the Hoover Dam too? Is there what now? The Transformers movie. Wasn't there scenes at the Hoover Dam as well? Yes, there was. It's a really cool dam. It's pretty cool. Why did we get so fascinated with it around like late 2000s?
0: that's a good question i i don't have a good answer for you
1: is it even our primary source of electricity in the united states like like is it even the single largest power generation site in the u.s um i don't think it is anymore no
0: it definitely was at one point but right yeah no i i think the dams actually up in washington state generate more power for instance I'd actually have to look that up. I'm actually curious now. But yeah, but yeah so he tells okay. Duke that this is all happening. And he also tells them that, yes, the aliens are stealing our women. I don't think I have to tell you what the implication is, which is like, oh, OK, we're going to get to that, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. So it turns out the aliens have created a hive in the Duke Dome, which is a sports stadium on the other side of town. And Duke has to go and rescue the babes. So this is where we now meet Captain Dylan, the one other character that has a name in this game, it feels like. Mm -hmm. So General Gray says that Dylan and Duke go way back, which you would never know because Duke never interacts with them. So I'm not (laughs) sure I believe him. Dylan is just a knockoff Marcus Phoenix. Literally, it's just that. Like he's like, you know, that line was like, oh, I had to find my friend, find his wife. Like literally, it's just that. Uh Uh-huh. And he exists just to be like, we're going to go and ram the alias cornholes. Yeah, just like good time. Just just like Belize, right, Duke? Ah! Belize? I I forget. Is it some, like, uh, Central American country that apparently they went on a mission for the CIA for or something like that?
1: Duke has a paramilitary CIA operations pass now? Apparently he does, yes. Okay, that raises actually a lot of questions.
0: Like, who would give this man a top-secret clearance?
1: Yeah, and also... hmm, Boy, that that just gets into a whole moral gray area that's like... Oh, boy. Oh, boy, (laughs) that gets a lot less charming real fast.
0: (laughs) President Reagan, I think we should sell... We should sell these missiles to RAD.
1: For the babes.
0: (laughs) We gotta get those hot Latin babes out of there, out of Nicaragua.
1: Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's not a fun character detail. No, it is not. <laughs> All right. So, okay. At this point, we've established that Duke Nukem, Earth's greatest hero, is a probably mid-40s tank top wearing high school peaked washout mm-hmm. with a uh, CIA paramilitary covert operations pass. And? and a tendency to just hand women $20 and tell them to shake it at the mall.
0: Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And he has a girlfriend that's, like, way too young for him. And Yes. And, and, like, he spent all his money on a convertible, but, like, not a nice one.
1: Not not a nice one. Um, Way too... Just way too interested in the concept of twin women.
0: Yeah, like, he... He saw those Bud Light commercials. He was like probably the, he saw those Bud Light commercials and just like fell in love with it. It's like, yeah, yeah, nah, man. Like he goes around constantly and is like, and twins at the end of like every joke that anyone else says, and like oh. everyone just stares at him like, Duke, shut the fuck up. Yeah, that's that's Duke Nukem. Duke Nukem is literally just one suntan
1: lotion left out. Number one video game character. Top of the list. Top of the list, number one with the bullet point. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, uh. So now that we've established this.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Duke and Dylan proceed to fight their way through the city. Oh, yeah. Uh, just to finish up Dylan's characterization, he exists to act like a weaponized to testosterone to react to Duke doing cool things. Okay, sure. Uh, so, yeah, they end up like fighting a giant alien battle lord, and that's where they punch him in the balls and kill it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they arrive at the Duke Dome. He gets a glimpse of a giant alien before falling into a large dark hole into the hive. So I'm going to have to record something to put in front of this podcast because I forgot to kind of do this when we started talking about the game. But I'm going to definitely do a warning now. Uh, This game contains some real, real dark stuff in in a way you just wouldn't expect. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's... This next scene we're going to be talking about deals an awful lot with an awful lot of alien rape, uh, a ton of it. Uh, it's never necessarily shown on screen, but it's definitely heavily implied. And given about the things we're about to talk about, uh, it doesn't take much to really imagine what happened. Uh, so, yeah, if that's something you uh, don't want to hear at all, I. Uh, I'll get a timestamp and I will put in where you should fast forward to to get past this part. So, let me tell you about the worst
1: part of this game, Alex. Yeah. Let's the, let's do this.
0: Which I believe is level 8, the hive. So,
1: have you you've you've probably seen videos of the hive, haven't you? Uh I don't know if I've even seen videos of this part. I've more seen it described. Hmm. In articles about why this isn't a good game, yeah,
0: I I'm gonna post a link. Your choice if you want to look at it or not.
1: Okay, I will um, scan over it probably.
0: Yeah, the relevant part start at four forty. Okay. Yeah,
1: it's just maybe
0: one of the. It is one of the most tone-deaf things I've ever seen in, in video games. Yeah. And it's so totally inconsistent with what this game has been this entire time.
1: The, the fact that this particular segment opened with Hail to the King Baby and then immediately cut to this... <laughs> sort of a testament to that. It really...
0: Yeah. So I guess I should describe what's happening. So, in The Hive you encounter various women usually strung up uh, like on walls or you know on the ground or on the ceiling and they are naked uh they are clearly pregnant and they are usually whimpering and crying and puking and in general do not want to be there at all as you can imagine because they have literally been raped by aliens and During this entire time, like, very creepy music is playing, and the scene is obviously meant to be disturbing, and, like, I understand that,
1: but it is... It's just so wildly, tonally different than anything else that was happening. Like, this this is a straight-up horror section yeah. Like, this is an alien horror show.
0: Yeah, it's... And it, it would be one thing if it was like that. If it was just, like, straight up like that. But yeah, Duke is still making jokes through it. Right. And did she get to part with the with the twins? Yeah. 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 Oh, boy. So so yeah duke enters this hive he sees all these women very clearly have already raped and the only thing you can do is shoot and kill them and when you when duke gets through there he eventually encounters the wholesome twins who have run into the same fate they ask him what's happening to us and duke says looks like you're fucked the wholesome twins then tell them a couple of Awful jokes, such as, this is their first time they've been with an alien. And, Duke, we promise to get the weight off within a week. We swear. Which is horrifying. (laughs) Yep. Yep, it's not good. And then they proceed to die. Duke seems mildly upset. And, an end scene. So, every reviewer has commented on this scene in some way. Sometimes they kind of gloss over it sometimes it go in a little bit more detail, but usually, the generally, the people are like, this is, why is this here? And I have a hard time that, I don't know when the scene was written, I don't know when this was all rendered out, like, this could have been in from the very beginning, it could have been added at the end, and, like, there, there are parallels with Duke 3D, like, you couldn't rescue the women, Duke 3D, in the PC right. version, right? But... I cannot imagine that there wasn't somebody at Gearbox who looked at the scene and went, "I maybe we shouldn't have this. Maybe maybe this wouldn't be a good idea. Right. Maybe this would be a good idea, it probably wouldn't be a
1: good idea. Probably wouldn't be a good idea.
0: <sighs> and so I, I went to look up both contemporary and current like, like views on this scene. Mm-hmm. Like, I went to, to the official Duke Nukem forums and, um, or did, I guess they're not really the official forums anymore. They're, uh, it, they're the largest unofficial forum I could find. Right. And, like, they talk about, like, hey, were you offended by the scene? And, like, most of them, well, I actually say split like 50 50 that a lot of people are like, either are, like, no, I'm not offended about this. This is supposed to be dark and gritty, man. Mm-hmm. And, like, others are like, yeah no this seems like it was kind of unnecessary like a lot of people in there who said like hey we're not really offended by this it just just seems so eye-rolly and stupid like why would you do this right which i i think i'm kind of a mix of like kind of actually genuinely offended and also just i kind of like eye roly, like this is kind of dumb
1: Mm -hmm. yeah it's sort of both it's sort of a lot of both i feel like
0: yeah yeah totally and it like i have so many thoughts about this and like going back to like one of the comments i saw where it's like hey no this is supposed to be serious and grim and whatnot and it's like, but it's not
1: but it's not it's not duke nukem is not
0: yeah he he's making jokes throughout this the wholesome twins are making jokes to him you can also find mysterious wall boobs are all over the place and while the while these ladies are like moaning and puking and doing all this other horrifying stuff You can slap them, and then Duke's like, it's time for your examination, ladies. And like, got milk, and oh, so wrong, and yet so right.
1: Uh, And it's
0: like, why would you do this? Yeah, it's... It is such a dumb scene, and I cannot believe somebody thought it was a good idea to put that in.
1: So... Is it even worth bringing up that Randy Pitchford is the one who was in charge of making sure this game got out?
0: There's definitely been some very questionable things that has come out about Randy Pitchford, allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, since then, such as leaving a USB drive full of barely legal
1: porn at,
0: was it Assisi's Pizza? Or it was some Som- sort of buffet. S- somewhere, yeah.
1: Yeah, um, yeah also uh, i don't know if barely is was or was not the situation uh versus not
0: yeah i i don't know either the stories i saw said barely but okay i um once again all allegedly all allegedly allegedly. yep and um check your sources yeah and uh yes you know Rumors of videotapes of sex acts that he has filmed maybe with or without consent, once again, allegedly. Yep. Uh, Yeah, it's, that could have been an overriding mandate from Randy Pitchford to keep that in. And like, honestly, a lot of the humor that's in this game is not out of place in a Borderlands game.
1: No, no, it's It's, not.
0: It's it's sub-tier Borderlands, which given that Borderlands humor is already kind of sub-tier. Mm-hmm. That's perhaps not a huge shock, but yeah, I, I I could totally see the, that scene staying, somebody being like pushing back and wanting that to leave and like Randy Pitchford or somebody else higher
1: up being like, no, no, we got to keep that in. That's Duke, man. That's, that's, that's continuity. Mm -hmm. That's how it was in 3D. You know, we're just, we're just being continuous with the lore.
0: Yeah. We're just keeping things forward. Ugh. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked about that. And yeah, and it's once again, like right before this scene, it's nothing but jokes. Right after this scene, it's nothing but jokes. Right. It's. Oh, it's so useless. So Duke manages to fight his way out. He fights a triple breasted alien queen.
1: Sure, uh, he murders why not? her,
0: gets knocked out, flips her off. Cool. So Duke briefly dreams of being in a strip club where he gets a lap dance and. He uses a glory hole and does a bunch of other things, but he wakes up just before, like, he's actually going to have sex, and he's very angry about it. Um, he wakes up an EDF helicopter, which then gets shot down. Of course. Uh, fights his way through his own themed Duke Burger restaurant, and decides he probably should go to the Hoover Dam and stop the alien invasion. That'd that's be still nice. Happening.
1: Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this out there. Hmm. I understand the concept of, haha, Duke's the greatest. Everyone thinks Duke's the greatest as, like, a joke. Yeah. There is such a thing as leaning too hard into it. There is. How many Duke-themed levels do you need to play through in a Duke Nukem game? Yeah, (sighs) because... Like, I get it.
0: It feels like, to me, that they could have taken this direction at, like, it's, yeah, this, like... Overly mass hyper macho man is and is like the supposedly thinks he's the world's greatest, but right. maybe he's not quite, and it's kind of played for laughs, right? But uh, no, there,
1: there's no self awareness to sell it on either. There isn't. It's and just utterly that, sincere,
0: and that it, could be good too.
1: But it, like, it goes it goes too far.
0: Yeah, it like, goes it, to a place where you truly believe that these people think Duke is the greatest thing on earth,
1: right? And like, if If they'd done that for one level, it might have been charming. Yeah. It probably shouldn't have been the level right after the Hive, but still. Yeah, Duke Burger was a
0: cool level in Duke Nukem, in the Duke Nukem expansion packs. Like, that was a cool stage. Right. But don't do, like, five of them. No. Yeah, you don't need it... You don't need it at all. So Duke travels to the Hoover Dam, and he travels there via his own themed monster truck, which literally gets like 500 feet per gallon, because Duke has to stop multiple times to fill it up while fighting aliens. He manages to make it to Hoover Dam, and he fights his way through, only to find his, I guess, only friend, Dylan, mortally wounded? He tells Duke that the cycloid emperor is here at the dam, and that the only way to stop the wormhole by blowing up the dam itself. He proceeds to die. Duke just simply remarks, guess he won't be the sequel. Uh, there's going to be a DLC pack for this. And it turns out Dylan will be fine. It will be present in that.
1: Oh, so, so Duke was also wrong. Yeah, Duke was also
0: wrong. So Duke Also, also
1: like, sequel, huh? ha. I was going to say sequel, ha. Huh. Yeah, forget huh. that.
0: <laughs> very optimistic. Oh, very optimistic at this point. So, Duke does also, like, run into the president, who gets very upset with him ruining everything and whatnot. He's like, you need to stay out of the way, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Duke doesn't. He puts charges on the dam and manages to blow it up. Uh, he nearly drowns, but he, like, he wakes up to a soldier doing, like, CPR on him. And he finds that the portal's now gone, like, the wormhole's dissipated. hmm But the president confronts him and is absolutely pissed. Because it turns out he planned on working together with the cycloid emperor to bring peace or something and get technology or whatever, and Duke ruined it all. Sure? He tells him he's launched a nuclear missile at their location to get rid of the biggest pain in the ass he knows, Duke Nukem. Unfortunately for him, the cycloid emperor shows up and kills him, and then Duke kills the cycloid emperor. I would go into detail of how the fight goes, but I don't care.
1: (laughs) Yeah, fair. (laughs) At this point, I don't either. Right. so
0: hey that's all resolved General Grayson okay. shows up in, like, in a helicopter and rescues Duke just as the nuke goes off and it's unclear if they survive so we cut to a map overlay and the words Duke Nukem KIA appears Duke then replies what kind of shit ending is that I ain't dead I'm coming back for more we then cut to a press conference where Duke announces his plan to run for president of the United States yeah? Would you like to guess what number of president he's running for?
1: Well, okay. So obviously, I want to guess number 69. Mm. I believe. And, oh, right. Because the last one died, so his vice president would become the 68th president. Yep. He's going
0: to run for the 69th president of the United States.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay. Sure. Uh, so after this, there's a DLC where duke has to fight dr proton who's come back and then he has to go to the moon to kill an alien empress and dylan's back and the only thing i really have to say about that is apparently there's a joke that dylan has an std and his girlfriend is disgusted and um yeah that's that's literally about it that's literally all that is and that's duke nukem forever is there a sequel hook I think the sequel hook is that Duke is running for president, and as president, maybe there'll be a Saints Row situation.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: I Otherwise, no real formal sequel hook, but, you know, I'm sure if Gearbox wants to, they'll figure something out.
1: I really like that Duke Nukem, the 3D first-person shooter that took the video game world by storm— got beaten to the punch by Saints Row, the mm-hmm. clone of Grand Theft Auto, that weird top-down <laughs> shooting game where sometimes you drive a car badly. Yeah, kind of weird, huh? Yeah, kind of weird. <laughs> Hail to the king. Hail to the king. Oh, oh Saints Row is so good. Saints Row's great. Oh, oh, Saints Row. I can't wait to talk about Saints Row one day. Oh, man, Saints Row's great.
0: Yeah, so Duke Nukem Forever... Was a financial success. It will be sad to learn. Yeah. And it wasn't a massive one. Take-Two did report eventually that they did make money off of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Since this is American, uh, the American gaming industry, they don't have to actually share numbers. Right. Unlike the Japanese game industry where they actually have, if they're actually traded on the stock market, they actually have to report all these numbers. Right. But uh, what I can tell you is that, yes, Take-Two eventually did make money. When Randy Pitchford was confronted with uh, the game doing badly as far as reviews were concerned, mm-hmm. he had this real dirtbag comment to say, Oh boy. Quote, With sales data, it seems like customers love Duke. I guess sometimes we want greasy hamburgers instead of caviar. He posted that on Twitter, by the way. Yeah,
1: of course he did, because that's what Randy did. Pitchford would do.
0: Yep, that's what Randy Pitchford would do. And yeah. Uh, That being said, if it did really sell that well They haven't really been chomping at the bit To put out a sequel
1: No, no No, they have not Um, Also, I do want to say that it killed the company that made it So it can only be so much of a success
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a success for
1: Gearbox Yeah, sure
0: Probably Gearbox only Who really probably didn't have to do that much work To get past the finish line Yeah,
1: I'm guessing not um
0: well, yeah uh, yeah and it and what's crazy though is that like 3d realms and apogee technically get killed by this but they also sort of come back mm. and like some wild things happen where they kind of try to develop more duke nukem games which that's, is a problem because they don't actually oh have that's duke Nukem right. license.
1: they did that and it oh
0: man <laughs> yeah so that was the it best be, it's the best yeah to give you give you a little bit of idea of what exactly happened so so 3d realm sort of dissolves of reforms and they um uh, they sold the license to duke nukem 2 gearbox in order to allow this game to get finished and they did a couple of things. The first is that they sued Gearbox, <laughs> stating they didn't meet their financial obligations, which um, 3D Realms was forced to admit wrongdoing. So. <laughs> Oops. And then in 2015, they tried to develop a Duke Nukem follow up, mm. which then 3D, Re- 3D Realms was sued by Gearbox.
1: Yeah, because Gearbox pretty rightly said, um, excuse me? What? <laughs> Yeah, it went well for them. They were forced to apologize. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and pay an undisclosed financial sum.
1: Oh, man. Is this, can anything hurt more than l- blatantly losing a lawsuit to Gearbox?
0: Ugh, yeah. Losing two
1: lawsuits yeah. to Gearbox.
0: They lost once and they came back for more. Just oh, like Duke man. Nukem would. Yeah. Uh, oh, God. Since then, while there's been many uh, re-releases, only one actual Duke Nukem game has come out, and that was Duke Nukem Critical Mass in 2012. Yeah. A a game that, from my understanding, was fine, but nothing really remarkable. Sure. Now, there was one good thing that did happen with the Duke Nukem character. In 2018, Bulletstorm Remastered came out. Oh, Right. And in kind of an inspired move, there was a mode where you could play as Duke Nukem through the entire story of Bullstorm. But they didn't record any new lines <laughs> for any of the other characters, just Duke Nukem, which leads to this really fun situation where they keep referring to him as another character, and Duke <laughs> gets progressively more and more angry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's and it's actually kind really of really good. That's actually really good.
0: Yeah, it's it's one of those things I'm like, alright, that's that's pretty good <laughs> Like, game ends with him like, yeah, I know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna wear name tag See <laughs> <so you laughs> assholes know who I am <laughs> That's pretty strong <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty strong It's pretty strong But it doesn't seem like there's gonna be a new Duke Nukem game Coming out anytime soon There's been various points where Randy Pitchford Has teased developing a new game Here and there But yeah. it seems right now Duke Nukem is forever dead and gone. There is one glimpse of hope, though, for fans of the series. Fans themselves have been keeping up the torch. Uh, Gearbox has greenlit a lot of fan projects, allowed them to continue, such Mm. as um, a version of uh, Duke Nukem 64 ported to PC. It works as expected. Or a Duke Nukem high-resolution pack that happened. And... um, you know, new expansions for Duke 3D have been created. So it there's still the fans at the very least are still keeping the spirit strong. Even if perhaps Duke Nukem itself is very much dead and buried. Just like the relic of it of old age that it is. Yeah. <sighs> Alex, how do you feel after you know talking a little bit about everyone's favorite dried up
1: sausage being chewed on by a dog? I hope Half Life Three never comes out. (laughs) People said good things about Half Life Alex. They're like
0: Half Life Alex. Yeah, sure,
1: sure. Um, I'm gonna assume that's not Half Life Three, and that that was has been developed in the past, like three years, probably. Hmm. And rather than you know what would at this point be a game. That was at least a whisper for the last what sixteen years?
0: hmm Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's like the one big first person shooter that just still hasn't hasn't yeah. come
1: out. Like Duke Nukem Forever will always be fascinating to me. And in fact, the Duke Nukem franchise will always be fascinating. Because the first two oh, yeah. games are they're fine. Like they're but they're sort of whatever. They're in that weird era of of Commander Keen and Jazz Jackrabbit, of like these mm-hmm. PC side-scrolling shooters that are like were really neat at their time, especially mm-hmm. for their technology. Yeah. But are actually kind of a miserable experience to play.
0: Yeah, they're they're amazing technical achievements, but yeah, they're they're awful games to play. The,
1: their design really fights you every step of the way. Mm-hmm. And then It literally had, Duke Nukem literally had one game that amazed everyone. Mm -hmm. It had one. Exactly one. And then a sequel to that was hyped up for 12, 14, 15, whatever years. Mm -hmm. And just came out to the wettest fart. And then it died
0: it came out to jokes and derision and all of it was well deserved yeah just to, as like that review said it's it's a game that has a hateful view of women and has no idea what humor actually is it it's a game that took the worst lessons from Duke 3D where if we just reference things right it'll be funny
1: yeah and which it
0: only worked in Duke 3D because nobody else did that right
1: and it it was early it was in that mid 90s section where like yeah we were all going haha, reference that's that's a reference I get it I said it. hail to the king ha ha but so like the thing that's really fascinating to me is that it, it is sort of this prolific franchise like as much as I would argue with the list that puts Duke Nukem at the top of greatest video game characters of all time. Like, that mm-hmm. list still exists. And even though yeah. I've never played Duke Nukem, like, I knew Duke Nukem growing up. I could oh, yeah. see Duke Nukem and be like, that's Duke Nukem. Like, he, Duke Nukem was a massive deal in video games. Duke Nukem was in Ready Player One.
0: Yeah. I mean, so was everything else, but still. Well, yeah,
1: but, you know... <laughs> And it's, yeah he, he was so well known and it's it's so it's such a massive franchise and such a massive name and there's one beloved game in there
0: yeah it's it's kind of amazing that so much goodwill so much sales so much propping up of a company can come from exactly one game yeah such an identity that it's inconceivable. It's inconceivable that there could be another game in another series that could do that.
1: And like it's Yeah. I'm I'm trying to think of one.
0: Like I, I really can't. I, no. I can't think of
1: sequels that did that.
0: Yeah. But I mean I guess I guess if you I guess it technically is a sequel. Like I Super Mario Bros. three was kind of similar to that, but mm. But then again, Nintendo didn't base their entire identity around Super
1: Mario Bros. three.
0: Right. Shikiro Miyamoto didn't go off the deep end.
1: <laughs> I don't want to see another Super Mario Brothers unless it's in three D. And he said on the NES,
0: <laughs> Super Mario World contains an incredibly awkward scene where Peach punches Bowser's balls repeatedly. Oh, uh. ah, you could just you could just Google search that. Yeah, one you, you probably you really want that one. Really? But yeah, you could. Mm. Cutting that joke out, anyways.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, that's that's Duke Nukem. I this is the first American franchise we've talked about on this
1: mm. podcast series. And I feel like we picked a good one. Yeah, there's there's certainly a lot to unpack.
0: Mm-hmm. And oh god, I'm going to be still unpacking quite a bit after I'm done with this. Like, <laughs> ah, just it's definitely something I could be talking about for literally hours. Yeah, yeah. But we do have to end this at some point. Alex, do you have any final parting thoughts?
1: Someone had to program poop physics for that game.
0: Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about. Yeah, there's they, a part you where you, you can
1: pick up a piece of poop and throw it. And it splats on the wall and leaves poops poop stains for infinity.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that literally is something that happens in that game. Oh boy. Uh, <sighs>
1: Yeah, somebody had to think of that. Yep. Think of it, code it, test it. Someone probably he... spent a day or two edge case testing, throwing poop at the wall.
0: Oh my god. I guess on that note, if you're a developer who had animate uh, um, women raped by aliens puking and whatnot, uh email me and tell you tell me how you felt about programming that. Boy, that must have been a really weird headspace. Yeah. But yeah, with that, I think we're going to go ahead and sign off. I'm Michael once again. Once again, I was with Alex. Thank you for writing through Duke Nukem with me. Thank you, everyone. And... If you all want to see this uh, podcast and other episodes, ftp.podbean.com or search for Falling Through holes" on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. And with that, take care, everybody. Goodbye.